Welcome to the acclaimed podcast, Deep Dive with Andy and the White Whale. Welcome to the Deep Dive. Andy, it is April. It is time for capping baseball. Are you ready to do another baseball podcast? Yeah, I know we we did a football podcast this week already, so I it suppose it, it sweet, is probably it, it was fun, but it was it, sweet. It's probably time we talk about baseball. <laughs> it is. It is baseball. It season. is. It is. We're like a week into the season. We got uh, approximately four hundred and thirty-five weeks left, uh, and uh, yeah, there's some already some drama. There's already a lot of people who are in over their heads. There's already a lot of people who are killing the books and and uh, and smashing it. And uh, it's 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 really a, a wild time of year as people kind of transition from you know full time basketball or or come out of hibernation after uh, NFL is over and and really get sink their teeth into baseball. Uh, and to help us frame the season a little bit, talk about uh, process and handicapping and kind of really give some shine to, you know, some of the alternative methodologies that are out there. If you're, you know, if you're into the handicapping game, uh, you know, we tend to focus a lot on analytics and modeling, but by all means, like that is not the entirety of my approach for any sport. Like I very, very much utilize traditional handicapping angles to help flesh out my, you know, my, um, you know, my sides and totals as I'm decision-making beyond just running a model. So, uh, in, and I think, uh, our guest today really helps, you know, will help kind of set the stage in that space because he really excels there to be frank. Uh, and so without further ado, our good friend, welcome back to the deep dive, Christian Pina. How are you today? Good, man. Look at you. you little sabermetrics <laughs> joke there saying framing. I caught that. I'm not going to let that one go, man. I am here and baseball is here and it is summer and it is beautiful in the desert in Las Vegas. And I could not be happier about this time of year. The baseball is back. Yes, I love it, man. Um, so uh, for those who are unfamiliar, we and actually Christian was our guest episode 50. Uh, and this is Oh man, is this episode 150? You went back and looked. Damn close. Oh, I I remember. I remember. It's damn close to 150. I think we're at 149, but you know, we'll we'll pretend we're at 150. Um, But um, yeah, we did a whole deep dive into handicapping UFC. It was fascinating. I learned a ton about the sport. It got me more interested in the sport, and I've kind of stuck with it in terms of just interest and following along. So, uh, if you're interested in UFC handicapping and you like what you hear from Christian today, go check out episode 50 because I'm sure that was pretty much evergreen because we only talked process. and uh, but for those people who don't, you know, don't haven't interfaced, interacted with you, um, you're our friend in the desert. Everybody kind of has friends in the desert. And as far as I'm concerned, you're our friend in the desert. Um, what uh, what's some of your background and how did you get into handicapping and, and specifically, uh, you know, how do you feel about baseball relative to all of the sports in terms of your strengths and, and your favorite sports to handicap and watch? Yeah, baseball to me is, along with UFC and even far and away, it exceeds it to me. Baseball has always been my kind of number one passion when it comes to sports betting um, from all fronts and for a variety of reasons. And if you kind of look at what the parallels are to UFC betting and baseball betting and kind of my philosophy and what goes with that, it's about eliminating variance to me, which is very difficult when you're talking about a game like baseball that is built around randomness and variance. And so when you're able to eliminate some of those things uh, by doing, I don't want to say niche markets, but maybe just different bets than either side total for the full game and going about things that way by eliminating as much variance as humanly possible. And notice I said humanly there because, again, (laughs) I think that baseball has gone so far to the analytical side from an on-field perspective, which has directly impacted, you know, those type of things are being saw by gamblers and model-based handicappers have had great success, numbers and analytics guys, as well as the teams that have incorporated that the most. The Astros, you know, definitely comes to mind. Most of those front office guys are now in the Orioles system. So it'll be interesting to see what they do there. Milwaukee is the next kind of experiment. And, and Oakland is always you know, the bearer of of that standard with Moneyball and even Tampa with their innovative type of stuff as well. So to me, it's about applying the numbers, the trends uh, from a long term market perspective and then integrating that with what you're seeing, because I think that analytics are greatly, greatly. Uh, it's a great tool. But I think you have to. Baseball still has a human element on both sides of it, whether it be handicapping or the on field product. Yes. Very cool. Um you bring up bring up a ton of questions and you know we could start yeah. anywhere here. i guess it's the beginning you know being the beginning of the season my 
<clears throat> without this turning into a big long thank you letter to Joey Gallo. Uh, <laughs> you, you do a lot. Of, yeah, I mean, you you and again this year you do a lot of futures. You do a lot of season long bets. Like when when do you start where I because I know those aren't out immediately. When do you start working on those? What's your process to that? Because I think I think people don't love to put money in play that long, but it's yep. kind of a lucrative market, and you, you seem to find some soft edges every year on that. It's different because I think a lot of the player props are the ones, or even season win totals, are ones that people have a hard time doing, um, which, again, because you're basically, in theory, risking a minus 110, maybe an even plus 110 uh, type of scenario. And to hold your money for you know four to six months, you're also betting on health. And if, God forbid, anything happens, if you are going to take an over, those type of things come into it. So for me, the futures market is, I those are kind of my uh, standard ones. And if I think a line is very, very off, I will you know play it for as much as they will allow it in the desert like the Joey Gallo one that you were talking about. But to me, it's all about getting all I want to do when I'm buying futures for, let's say, um, you know, player odds, whether it be Cy Young, MVP, or even teams to specifically win the NLAL pennant World Series, whatever the case may be, all I want to do is get out ahead of the market. And I mean, I know I'm a little bit unique in that I have an option like prop swap and cash out options are not available to everyone. But utilizing that tool, I mean, I know guys that just day trade via prop swap and make a very good living doing it daily. And so for me, I'm looking to just get ahead of the market, beat it by a significant amount, and I will only and then again, sell it for a profit or if I you know bet two, I'll sell one to keep one. Um, and I only, my philosophy on futures is I will only place it preseason pending that it is not one that's going to come off the board um, when I think that the market will shorten in season. Um, and so a guy like Trout it for MVP at even money doesn't make very, make very much sense to me. Sure. If I really wanted to hit that, I'll hit a minus 200. I'll hit a minus 140. I did it with Mookie Betts last year at minus 170. The other thing is I'm a huge narrative guy. Um, and this comes into the human element of it. This is a real reason I was on, you know, Paul Goldschmidt for NL MVP, um, a couple other things that come to mind. But to me, it's it's all about the narrative of who's going to break through that, gla that glass ceiling of that award. I know that we were so high on Drew Brees, Philip Rivers, MVP last year got out by Mahomes, but it's the same thought process of these guys want to eventually break through towards that award, yeah. towards greatness. Yeah, right, right, right. And, you know, you, you bring up a good point about handicapping awards. Like, there's, it's not necessarily as much as who's going to compile the most stats. You absolutely have to factor in is the team going to be good enough? Is the, you know, do the vote, does the voting body feel like they, you know, they're, they're, they're due? Are they due? Uh, or, you know, you know, cause a lot of times, you know, at least the, the baseball writers, they're a cranky old crew and, you know, sometimes they'll just continually reward the same people. You look no further than the golden glove award winners for every single year. And half those guys barely play defense anymore, but, um, that's all, that's all, uh, beside the point, um, as we get into the season now, and here we are in week two, um, would you say that, we have enough of an understanding about how these teams are composed. We have enough of an understanding about these pitchers and their form, what kind of shape they're in. Like, you know, are, are the players in shape? Are these teams kind of, you know, well composed? Because as I look up and down the standings and as I look in the, the results over the first week, there's a lot of head scratching stuff going on here. Um, and kind of right in line with this question, does that mean we should be, you know, putting full stake bets down at this point in time in the season? <laughs> Not even close, honestly. I think it takes at least three or four starts for guys to be really rounding into form. There are the outliers, guys like DeGrom, guys like Scherzer. There's, you know, even in theory, um, and this is a, a kind of an aside interesting topic of, you know, a case study like a guy like Chris Sale. You know, when you look at the differences, um, you know, Chris Sale only pitching three innings in spring training gets shelled. Walker Bueller gets shelled, the same thing. So people put different things into spring training when you're coming into the year. To me, I look for kind of opportunities in that last spring start. This came to fruition with a guy like uh, Julio Urias, which you know, came out, fired a, a, a four-inning perfect game his last time out once he understood that he was going to be replacing Kershaw. So when you look up and down um, at these at these kind of, I mean, wonky is an understatement type of division rate, races right now. Boston at one and five, the Rays at five and two, Baltimore four and two, just as an example. And you can pretty much pick these out anywhere, Houston second to last. No, and the reason I say that is because people have this, what, with the beginning of the season comes, everyone's excited. You don't see the the weeks and the months that build. Now look, if Baltimore went four and two in the middle of July and randomly took two or three from New York and, and as huge underdogs against Toronto, nobody would bat an eye. Sure, public betters would be a little upset. They ruined some parlays that they were fading them in, but nobody sure. would bat an eye. <laughs> and it would be the same thing on the opposite side if Boston went one and five or New York two and 
before. But when you look at standings now, like you just said, it, it's going to draw your eye because you see Boston one and five. Teams are going to go one and five. I don't care who you are during the course of a regular season. And they're going to have up weeks. They're going to have down weeks. I mean, we're seeing this. There are, you know, specific examples I think that you can peg on if you had an offseason read. I mean, you look at a team like Cleveland. It's everything that I think was very much projected. They have the best one through five rotation in baseball with absolutely no offense. I think that has really come to fruition. Um, when you look at the National League, I think that, you know, the Brewers are a legit six and one. I think the Cardinals are a lot better than their two and three. But then you go to the NL. East and everyone is kind of one, two, three, where we thought between the Mets, Phillies and Nationals in some order. Um, and the Dodgers to me are one of the best teams in baseball. San Diego is going to be improved in second place in the West, but they are already tremendously overvalued. Um, so and I do think a team like the Giants is going to have good pitching with the worst offense in baseball. So I think that you can draw specific narratives, but to look at a team's win losses, I think is a little bit uh, misleading just because when you look at it down the line, you're going to look and it's going to, it's going to stand out to you when you see Red Sox in last place of kind of what's going on there. I got you. I got you. So you said like three or four starts um, before we really understand what a pitcher's <laughs> got. Um, do you have some guys you have circled who, and you know, in granted, like, like I, I, all everything you just said and this whole topic and concept rings especially true to me because over the first four weeks of the NBA season, I got super duper slaughtered. Like I had poor priors. <laughs> I remember on that. The team. I, I mean, I was literally like, I, it was like coming into, we we're getting close to Thanksgiving and I was like, should I just like quit this? Like I don't have it. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't understand why none of this is working. Like it's worked every, you know, every other year at the beginning of the season, I was just on fire. But for whatever reason this year, I, my priors were trash and I just absolutely sucked. Uh, and you know, thankfully it all turned around for me and I didn't quit, but you know, like, like, you know, if you have some priors, if you have this guy's going to be pretty good this season, people don't know he's going to be as good as he is. You know, this pitcher, this 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 lineup has some sneaky, talented young players who, you know, the the veteran pitchers aren't going to be sure they're going to get out yet, right? Like like they're like they're not going to know how to get them out yet. And so, you know, this team might be frisky. This team might be sketchy. Like, um, you know, if you're not betting those priors, like. You know, are you kicking yourself, <laughs> you know, or, you know, is it, you know, what's what's the right kind of mentality and strategy? And at what point in the season are you like, OK, I have enough of a grasp here on what this team's identity is. I'm ready to start really swinging away. Yeah. So for me last year, I believe that I do basically half my normal bet size uh, the first basically two weeks of the season. Last year, the date for me was April 15th. I don't have a specific date in mind. I don't even have a specific number of starts. I just want to see, um, you know, what I feel is a grasp and what I feel would be considered, you know, let's say random variance from what a baseline is that I established for that pitcher. They're going to have great starts and they're going to have subpar starts. That is completely, you know, in the realm of possibility. But as long as I feel that I can look at a specific pitcher and know what their baseline is and what to what I can attribute to just a, a poor ballpark factor or outside variance is kind of when I feel that I can go full bore. And when you look at guys, you know, the prior guys that you, you kind of come into the season looking at, I mean, it's also a question of what market you prefer. I am mostly a first five better because, again, I like to eliminate as most variance as possible and bullpens yeah. are largely, largely <laughs> unpredictable. Bullpens yeah. Bullpens had a day. <laughs> bullpens are variance. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you can yeah, use yeah. them to your advantage yeah. a little bit. There are certain oh, teams yeah. like the Yankees who I think you should always bet full game because if the starter falters, their starting pitching is less than their bullpen. I think that when you are going to attack a team like Milwaukee, although it's proved very uh, not fruitful to do so right now, you want to look and you want to make sure Josh Hader is available if you're going to be betting on them full game and you want to make sure he's not available if you're going to bet against them full game only. Otherwise, you're probably better off with a with a first five type of bet. But when you look at guys or, or teams and in, in players and pitchers, on teams that I think are surprising. I, I think that we should probably start with my guy, Jose Barrios, right now for um, a variety of reasons. Oh, with what the Twins are, are are able to you know do this year, they're taking a very analytical approach, um, and you know he he had all the outlying factors. Now here's the problem: 
while both of them have been profitable, do you want to get in bed with a Jose Barrios first five under, let's say, at 2-0 and on the year, or a first five money line at 1-0 and one push with a 0-0 in there? And again, you know, there's there's different outlying trends for if he's home and away and that type of thing as well. But to me, it's about seeing the offseason progression. We've also seen this with a guy like Lucas Giolito, who was a little bit of a laughing stock last year, something of a cash cow first five fade, uh, yet comes in, no hits a team, um, and has completely redefined his delivery. Now, that's a guy that I want to wait for. I did not bet against him the first start of the of the year because I thought that there was some outlying sabermetric type stats that could point to this. He was an a, a 1A prospect, meaning he was the best pitching prospect in baseball for a time. So that mm-hmm. talent was definitely there. So that's the difference for me for where I'll play a half unit stake trying to get ahead of the market before it catches up on a guy like Barrios, okay, whereas gotcha. I'll wait gotcha, for a guy gotcha, like gotcha. Giolito to see if it's real. Yeah, my, my question was, again, I, I was trying to think of this without giving it a negative spin, but you know, you go into the season with a game plan, you have guys you want to bet against, you have guys you want to bet on. At what point do you trash one? Like if it's just the, the priors that were point, like it, it just ain't working. It just, at, at what point do you bail out on something that you had a game plan on and, and just have to cut your losses and say, I thought something and it just isn't working out. Yeah, I think a lot of it comes to what I feel is the equity that I've built up in the past seasons. I mean, a for example, a Jacob deGrom first five under last year hit at about 82%. A quarter of his starts were 0-0. He's 2-0 and to that this year again. And so even if he had started 0-2 or, or, and again, I believe the Mets lineup is so improved, it's just a little bit, you know, depending on how much equity and how long a person has been doing it, it really comes into it because I have, again, that quote-unquote equity of, of bets won from the prior season. Um, if it is a new person, person that I'm looking at. Those are guys that I'm going to wait probably three to five starts into the season, potentially before I even bet. Um, for one reason, I want to see their form. I mean, a guy like Kachiki on Seattle, it's somebody who is it going to be in the same mold of a Miles Mikolas last year, who you've seen struggle early this year because he, instead of being the number three starter, he's now their quote unquote ace. Yeah, um, so yeah. Jack Flaherty kind of rises up to that. And that's another thing that I'm huge on is I tend not to be able, or I tend not to bet aces um, for a variety of reasons. Number one, aces go against aces. And so you get the best, you know, the best from the opposition. So I find the most value with what I kind of call the king pitcher, king jack which is the best two three and four uh pitchers in a rotation because if you can get a number four uh, yeah. pitcher that is better than the other team's number four substantially that's where you're going to find the most success and when you have two guys going up against each other it's a great recipe for a first five under saw this with tyler skaggs frankie montes um already this year so there's been a couple others corbin and wheeler came to mind although that one did lose so you know to me i'll give everything a little bit of leeway only because i'm not betting it from the onset when it comes to new guys i don't already have equity in Nice. Nice. No, no, no. That, that's a funny, uh, that's a really funny kind of crossover description of the King through Jack pitchers I've never heard before. Is that common? No, I, I completely patented that. And made that <laughs> that's cool. Okay. So, um, okay. That, and that makes sense because ace versus ace, guess what? The margins are a shitload tighter. There's just, you know, it's just like, like one, you know, one, uh, you, you're going to need a couple of guys to get a couple of hits in the row to get a run. And just because of that, it, it makes things tighter. Let me ask you though. You said something that, that piqued my interest. DeGrom's, uh, first five unders hit at an 82% clip. How, how is it possible that the market didn't catch up to that? I mean, you're much like a first period run line in hockey or a, a total that's kind of always set at a specific number, like a one and a half. You're never traditionally going to see under a, a three and a half. Occasionally, if it was DeGrom Kershaw in his prime, you might say a three. But that's really the bottom of the market. Um, I've just never seen you know anything lower than that. I believe the record right now for a first five total is three. Um, and again, I just... It's something that I think people, much like we saw the run with the Chicago Blackhawks, um, you know, over in the NHL, it's something that people kind of get a little bit scared to jump on. Again, it, it did hit again today, but I think that once somebody jumps on, they're starting from zero. They don't have that yeah. equity for big right. issues. Yeah. And the market can catch up. It will catch up. But you also have to, you know, for this year, what was so great about it last year was the Mets lineup was so bad. And so for this year, it's one of it's the most improved lineup in in the National League, in my estimation. So, you know, it, it worked tonight, 3-0 for DeGrom. And when you're firing zeros, you're basically betting a full ga- a full first five for a team total on the on the Mets right now. Got it. That makes sense. So, okay. So, best I can tell then, you can, just because you've been doing this long enough, just because there's enough baseball games in the season and you've had enough years doing this, you can kind of evaluate qualitatively, like, hey, this number is, they finally have put this thing so low that, 
the value is sucked out of it and you walk away from it. Like, is, is that one, number one, is that fair? And number two, if somebody is relatively new to betting baseball, like how do you go about, you know, just building that war chest of tools and gaining that experience so that you can kind of qualitatively evaluate stuff like that? Here's where we're going to differ philosophically a little bit. And what I'm about to say may shock you a little bit, but (laughs) when it comes, I'm I'm sitting down (laughs) when it comes to this type of betting, when you're basically handicapping pitcher versus pitcher and hoping theoretically you have a buy versus self or, you know, what I would call a max bet or two first five under type of trend guys, whatever the case may be. I'm going to bet that regardless of what the number is. I would have bet DeGrom at if the total was two during that stretch, I would have bet it at three. Um, and so to get of get the best of the number when you're talking about something that's going to move like a first five total, um, if it opens at four and you know, you're know you going to take a three and a half, it's probably not the most um, conducive thing to do long term. But if I w- was you know hoping for a four and I got a three and a half, I would be more than happy with that. And that's exactly what we saw today with um, the DeGrom uh, and Trevor Richards under opened, I believe, at at uh, four for about a split second um, or maybe even open because first five markets don't open until basically a couple hours before or at least in the morning rather than overnights. Um, so if you know that three and a half, I'm going to take it because it's really a play on the trends and not the specific number. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay. That makes total sense. Uh, and actually it kind of carries crosses over a little bit to the NFL. Like I can definitely remember there were certain teams and there were certain um, and basically what it was, was, uh, you know, there was, vi- there was virtually no way you could come up with a quantitative model for, uh, you know, Rams chiefs game that was going to give you 65 points. Like exactly. it just wasn't possible. But, and so basically anyone that was doing a numerical run on that was going to say, oh, this is a beautiful underspot. Right. And, but you know, God help you if you went and touched that, you know, third rail <laughs> and bet an under on that game and the game ends up like around 99 points. So it's, yeah, you know, I've cherry picking you know, an example that makes this case, obviously, but, um, but sure, for sure, like it took a long time for the market to adjust to, you know, NFC South matchups, you know, you had two bad defenses on the field and the scores were in the thirties, every freaking game, 30 versus 30 to 30. Um, and you know, it, it just took a long time. And I've, I'm assuming that there were, you know, people who were using analytical approaches and they were just like, look, this is just impractical to get a score that high. Uh, and so because of that, there was probably balanced action. Do you think that, and, and I mean, taking this a broader step and asking you kind of a broader question about analytics and baseball, like clearly handicapping from an analytics standpoint is like without a doubt it's all the rage yeah. uh you know i mean for for sure like i look at a sport like baseball and coming from someone who's modeled basketball and nfl i'm like holy crap look at all this data yeah, you can put this in yep. it is built for it and you really can just go to town uh do you think the fact that kind of the market makers so to speak you know, broadly are hitting this from an analytics standpoint and, you know, from just from a a quantitative model standpoint, do you think that that opens up opportunities for some of the traditional angles? And, you know, just because you're not ever going to calculate, you're not ever going to compute a realization for a Mets nationals game that has, you know, one run in five innings that tells you I should be on the under two and a half here, right? <laughs> like that's yep. never going to happen. Like you're, it's just not quantitatively possible. Uh, and, and, uh, you're going to, you know, you're just going to add up little bits of runs over all the course of five innings that you're going to get to two and a half, three. Right. And so, you know, like, like, do you see bro- kind of broadly that like the traditional handicapping approach, there are opportunities to kind of effectively fade what your what a computer, what an algorithm, what a what a quantitative approach is never going to get when it comes to handicapping baseball. That is such a good question on so many levels, man. But I think that the biggest thing is being so. Let me let me say this: if you think that basically odds makers aren't are making any odds themselves right now, you're absolutely crazy. If you think that you know they have they literally have not them specifically, but they have a computer that is running analytical models to determine that they, your model, if you're a model based handicapper, has to be better than theirs, and that's or at least you know, different. And yes, take in, in a good way, in a good way. Yeah. Take into account way. things that take into account things that they're not is the big thing. Right. But I think yes, there's a exactly. huge opportunity yeah, yeah, yeah. to use 
the market like that and use analytics against them. And what I mean by that is they have a, you know one specific niche thing that I've kind of found is you know with a team you know that is using analytics like let's say Tampa Bay Rays using an opener, they're using a specific opener 99% of the time based on their one versus three matchups. And so when you look at a market like score yes no first inning for a team like the Rays using an opener designed to at least get you know those first three outs escape the inning without a run, you're getting you know a minus one ten price for only three outs instead of the usual six. So that's one way that you can use a team using analytics against books. That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, and there's a bunch others in there. But when you look at the human aspect of it, I mean, to use analytics, right, because I think that even more than people predicting um, team outcomes when using analytics and model-driven stuff, all the rage is what? Pitchers. It's all sabermetric pitchers and, you know, banking on that positive regression or, um, you know, regression as a whole. If they're quote-unquote unlucky um, or if they are being quote-unquote lucky. And so to me, I think that a lot of people, especially analytical people, um, handicap baseball a little bit backwards. I'm perfectly fine. And again, I do this when I'm going to bet something, I'm going to bet it pretty much the whole way through um, and live and die by my select guys that I've chosen to either bet on, bet against or whatever market it is. While analytical handicappers, you know, um, Robbie Ray is all the rage this year. Shane Bieber is out there. Uh, Nick Pavetta. These are all guys that say, you know, Lucas Giolito. These are all guys that say positive regression is happening. But the difference is, there's going to be guys during the course of the season you're going to see that are either going to be outperforming their sabermetrics in a good way or a bad way. And depending on what that is, until they, you know, their sabermetric handicappers are going to look to uh, fade those guys or bet on them betting on regression. So if they're if they've been bad, but the data says that they're um, just unlucky, they're going to be perfectly fine losing four times to get to that fifth win, you know, and, and yeah, the other right. side. And I think that's completely backwards. If somebody's defying expectations, I'm going to ride that until it, you know, stops and the sabermetrics catch up. And oftentimes it just doesn't until they have a chance to fix something in the next off season, like a guy like Giolito. Okay. So basically uh, from a basic standpoint, uh, because a, an algorithm's not ever going to be able to capture something like momentum or something that's relatively impossible, difficult or impossible to quantify. Like you can kind of, you think uh, that there are opportunities to kind of cull together some of those specific angles, especially related to pitchers and uh, kind of mine that for value where anyone who's running and, and that, you know, a numerical model on this is going to be, you know, they're the, to the, best they can even kind of capture momentum they're going to be uh uh you know struggling right yeah and again it depends on again your model just has to be you know take into account things that um odds makers model isn't and once you've maybe pinpointed that you can back test it and see up against the current market um and do it that way i think that you know it's always going to be the cat and mouse game as soon as handicappers evolve books will evolve and it's always going to be like that i think that if you're looking to get into the analytical and model side of baseball the data is so widespread available to both odds makers and handicappers uh that unless you have pinpointed a specific type of stat or sabermetric trend that is either not out there not not as widely talked about um that's going to be your best case right now when you incorporate the human aspect momentum narrative teams playing you know tragedies emotions that's <laughs> yeah, that yeah, yeah. Tragedy. oh it's good that's yeah, good that, that, that makes me think too though you know you talk about you you can't possibly build a model that would spit out like this game is going to end up one nothing like it's it's just not how thing, and it just makes me think of like my basketball stuff when I would get to the oh what's the conference West Coast Conference. It just did not understand Gonzaga because Gonzaga versus <laughs> I mean the way things were modeled and the way things I did things it did not fully understand why a team would be favored by thirty points. It was nope by thirty points. Yeah. It would bet, bet against Gonzaga every time. In, in fact, Nevada. Nevada. Bet against them every time, Andy. <laughs> you quickly it's... learned that, you know, that, that was a it was a horseshit idea. You don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, it's the same thing. Like you gotta you know, you gotta use some common sense in there too and actually realize like, you know, this is this is something that a statistics or a database model just isn't gonna fully understand. No degrom. Degrom doing what he's doing. Good. No, it's true. It's true. 
it's different too because football as a whole, right? When you look at a season, how many times did we make fun of every quote unquote sharp and professional for taking the Browns uh, two yes. years ago? And they are yes. the Jags yes. Yes. two years ago. Yes. It turns out they were just a year early on both. That's a yeah, 16 right. game sample size. And granted, both rosters were overhauled. But when you look at a game like baseball, over 162, not 16, things genuinely tend to even out um, for it. But again, what I will say is I know professionals last year that could not quit two teams, the Texas Rangers and the Baltimore Orioles. Turns out they may, you know, as things look right now at this time, may have just been a year early as well. So it's definitely a little bit different. You usually see, you know, those professionals get those right um, in a sport like baseball eventually and identifying those underdogs. Because again, underdogs hit a major league baseball 43% of the time, which is the best rate um, in any sport. UFC second at, I believe, uh, 39%. And when you when you add in the fact that favorites of minus 200 or more hit, I believe, 74 percent of the time under that. Um, and, you know, plus 110 is something that is a very profitable bet for underdog betters as well. So hmm. it just remains hmm. to be seen, you know. Interesting. Um, OK, so then um, let's pivot a little bit then from because all this makes total sense. And it kind of fits into my kind of overarching handicapping theory, which is there are a lot of ways to do this. There's no one right way. Uh, and for sure, um, you know, for sure there are, you know, there are two sides to every game and projection and expected outcome. Uh, and, um, you know, a lot of the time, if you have a well-centered model, that's great, but you're not ever going to know that team A is going to, you know, perform three standard deviations under their expectation, uh, unless you happen to have some sort of inside information that they're going to sit some guys or some guys are actually hurt or, you know, or that they just, you know, they were all out last night partying. I mean, like those kind of things, like information-based, you know, adjustments you can make, I guess. Um, but, um, but yeah, that, that makes me think of lineups. Like, what, what's your opinion on that? Because I think there was some, like, oh, Jesus, like the Twins lineup the other day, or, or for any Yankees today. lineup that we've seen all week. Yeah, even today. Like, just, like, just, you know, how. How important do you think that is, and does it vary based on some of your bets? Like I, I'm betting on this pitcher. I don't give it. I don't give a shit who's playing. Yeah, lineups are can be very misleading because I think that largely. Um, look, when you talk about a sport like football, where a quarterback could be worth six, seven points to a spread in a money line situation like baseball, I mean, you look at a guy like Mike Trout, maybe you're looking at a five to 10 cent line movement on both side and um, money line. And so I think it's, look, it's largely built in. If I'm betting an under, would I like to see Trout out? Yeah, but I think that studs are, are largely going to get theirs and you hope to limit guys on base form for the worst case scenario and, and vice versa. Pitchers being scratched is obviously the, the complete uh, 180 where your bet would even cancel at most places. So look, lineups are something I think are largely overblown just because there's not that much difference. And I know people are going to talk about the war factor and, and wins above replacement, all that type of stuff. I get it. Um, but for a one game sample size, the drop off from, you know, somebody to their replacement outside of some truly, truly elite guys, it just isn't that big of a deal to me. That makes sense. One thing that uh, I don't think is arguable. And I don't think anyone who has bet for as long as we have couldn't even make a legitimate argument against this uh, is regardless of how you're going about your handicap, market entry is extremely important. And knowing when to get your bet down, being able to evaluate a given market and understand when it's moving, why it's moving, what books are influential in the move, um, what players potentially at what books are influential in the move. Um, you know, all the, knowing all of that stuff seems to me to be extremely paramount, especially if you're, uh, you know, you're looking at a side or a total that's effectively independent of price or line, right? Like you, you know, and so are you, um, you know, how important do you feel like it is to evaluate the baseball market? Uh, do you think it's important to need to know, for instance, when limits go up at Chris uh, and when, you know, and, and can you see a move at Chris and you're watching the screen or do you check the screen to see a move at a given time after limits went up to know, oh, this was an influential move. This is moving this way. Um, therefore, I need to make sure that I'm getting my action down on this pitcher before this, you know, these these moves come in later that are going to you know suck out all the value uh or vice versa like i know i'm going to fade this guy i know people have you know people can't help themselves but bet the uh you know but bet the orioles in this picture therefore i'm going to wait for the move and then get the better of the other side of this i mean like like how do you go about incorporating market um 
you know, market uh, dynamics, so to speak, in, into your handicapping approach and, uh, and you know, what is, what is important as a person in Vegas relative to someone who's betting offshore? Again, I think that first and foremost, this depends on what you want out of this. If you're looking to come into, you're looking to bet baseball for a weekend, you're coming into town, getting the best of the number for your four game sample size. Uh, if you see a, a sharp movement and you're taking 10, 20 cents, I don't think it's going to affect you in the long haul, right? Sure, <laughs> don't drive sure. across town for 10 cents. Yeah. So I think it, it largely depends on that first and foremost. But when you look at the baseball market, to me, when number one is I look at the pick'em games, and I always because if you have a minus one ten on both sides, if you're an influential group, the first thing you're gonna do is steam one side for half your stake to come back on the other because that's gonna move to plus one oh five to plus one ten, and then you're gonna come back double on the other side to guarantee yourself a nice profit, make your thirty five forty units through the course of the year doing that every time a minus one ten line is open. So I kind of if it's a pick'em line, I genuinely go for the head fake and believe that. I would almost if, if, you know, once that um, once that limit is open a little bit and I know that I can see that coming, um, I can kind of almost even see the head fake most times and know that the second side is really the uh, preferred side or at least oh, know wow. that 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 is just a wow. um, even if it's not the preferred side, know that they, you know, depending on how much things move and where they're where it's coming from, that type of stuff, whether it's just to get their free, you know, um, make their you know point four or point two on that game and move on, or if it's a real move. When you see a real move, you're gonna know it. It's gonna come from, uh, in my estimation, it, you know, public moves are are very slow and methodical, and you can genuinely tell who they're gonna be against. They're going to be on, you know, aces. They're gonna be on high price favorites. On you know, for whatever reason, despite the fact they hit so much, um, which is completely opposite of UFC because the public loves betting UFC underdogs, they want to bet favorites. And so when you see a line, you know, if one is mine. Minus one or plus one sixty, um, and it gets hit, you know, twenty cents, let's say, to, to you know the uh, plus one forty. That's not a public move if it came all at once, and there's really nothing to gain from a a group or, or sharp player hitting that to come back on the other side and lay sure. you know less juice that way. So sure. to me, it's about avoiding the minus one tens or at least not taking that first move, knowing that at most that first move on any minus one ten is very likely to be at least a head fake, and the second side's probably preferred if it's not just a play to guarantee themselves money. But yeah, market entry, man, it's it's crazy when you look at baseball as you know, you can be up or down six, seven units based on market entry and getting the best of the number. Sometimes they fly. Oh, without a God doubt. Damn it. That was I like that. That that minus <laughs> yeah, one that like that was I got cold shivers. That was a cool story. <laughs> of course. <laughs> giving you giving um, you a little secret there, yeah. Of course. Giving the secrets of the desert. Um well while you we were uh, kind of like two or three questions back, it got me thinking because I read something about this once, and I don't bet a ton of baseball, but you talked about a pitcher getting scratched. Like, do you ever, do you ever fuck with action and listed? I, somebody had once said, like, if you're betting an underdog, your pitcher is much worse than the other pitcher. He's like, just put action, because how how much worse can the situation get? It can only get better. Like, if your guy gets scratched, it's just going to be another shitty pitcher. If the other team, <laughs> the other team scratches a pitcher, it's a big downgrade. He's like, just play the action. It's like it might only happen once, once ever. But he's like, just let those ride. Don't, don't go listed on that. So I don't know if you, if you do anything, maybe something else, or if you're just always listed pitchers. I want to know what's going on. Because listed pitchers is such a part of what I do, I always do listed pitchers. I mean, look, because I'm mostly an underbetter. Um, so if I have one, okay. you know, two teams that are yep. two pitchers pegged for that, and one is replaced, unless it's somebody that is again fits that criteria. Um, I give you a funny story though, man. Uh, this was probably it was like one of the first times I placed a bet on a mobile app in Vegas. This was over you know, three years ago when I first moved here. Um, the Westgate app specifically doesn't tell you. I, I, if you place action or uh, pitcher, it gives you the option, but you have to scroll down. And I didn't know that. I'll oh. never forget this. It was, <laughs> it was uh, Cueto and um, Lester. I want to say on Oakland and Lester Cueto was scratched. Um, I looked at the thing. It said action, and he was replaced by just an absolute scrub. <laughs> So it it was a a very it was a very limit bet. Um, so I tried to I raced down to the Westgate. I got there in I believe I had four minutes to spare, and I walk up to the counter to show them the app, and I'm like, it did it doesn't specify pitch and lister or action. Can you tell me which one I have? And they were like, no, the the app is completely separate. We have nothing to do with that interface. I'm like, so. 
I'm like, okay. Um, so you oh. want me to just? So you, so I was like, okay, you want me to just eat this <laughs> juice and die out of it? And they're like, yeah, that's what you have to do. Well, turns out. I had, um, I thought I had pitcher. So I thought they were like, we don't know. You won't know until the game's over. So I thought I had pitcher. It was action. So I initially had an <laughs> under, um, I, that bet was not canceled. So then I placed the opposite one and it was just an absolute nightmare of way too much money. There was a chance the total moved of course, with the pitching change. So of I could course. have got reverse middled for two very limit size bets. And it was <laughs> a, I believe it was like eight and a half and it went down to eight. And like, if it landed on eight, I was dead. And it was like four, four oh, through the bottom of the seventh. Shit. And it was the worst moment of my betting life. So if well, you're an if under four, guy, four. If four, four, then you're feeling pretty good, right? I'm sorry. Um, yeah, <laughs> It's like four, three, or six, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, right. That's still that's what it's. It was the exact worst case scenario for seven innings. If it was seven, it was four. I was like, oh god, here we go. (laughs) Oh man, that's that's not a good start with the app. (laughs) You're probably all jacked up too. Like this is this is nice. So cool. I have to be there in person. Yeah, yeah. This motherfucking thing. (laughs) miles an hour. It was not a good day. Oh, geez. All right. Well, I got one more kind of pseudo serious question. Then I got a bunch of fun ones for you. Um, Pseudos, last pseudo serious question. We talked about it at the beginning. It's April. There's a lot of uncertainty right now. Um, And the just like, you know, just like any long season. I mean, even the NFL, for that matter, even college football, where you only have like 12 games. Like there's sort of a fabric to the season where it changes as it goes along. Uh, Different things matter at different times. Like in the NBA, it's more, it's so freaking clear. Like at, you know, you know, October to December 24th, like you have a certain expectations about players and, and effort and, you know, you know what to expect. Uh, and then December 25th to the all-star break, it completely turns on its head. And, you know, you have to incorporate tanking elements after the all-star break, you know, so like, it's pretty clear that there's like a, a fabric or a shape or a flow to the course of the season in basketball. Um, and I know from hearing tons of interviews, ton, tons of, of conversation, reading articles, like people advocate, like, man, it is impossible to win baseball in July. It's just impossible. I can't do it. I can't win baseball. I stopped betting baseball on Father's Day. It's over, right? Like like people have kind of, you know, beat, beat that message into the ground with me. Um, but it seems kind of silly, uh, I have to say. Uh, how do you see... Maybe it's just because of... their bankroll's done by then because they're, they're not doing well. <laughs> I'd give up after... They're down 100 units by Father's Day? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, but like, I mean, clearly like there's got to be some, you know, like the marketplace changes on round Father's Day because the NBA playoffs are over, right? Like some people may have not cared at all about baseball and now they do, right? And like, so so numbers are going to move for different reasons. Things change. It's a, it's a very, it's a dynamic system from day one to day, you know, day two. How many days are there in the baseball season? Like 200, whatever the case is. From day one to day 200, it's a very dynamic system. Um, how do you see sort of the overall shape or flow of the baseball season? And uh, would you say there's a part of the season that you especially hate and especially love? You know, it's funny you say that because as I look back at kind of my season last year, I mean, July was my most profitable by a long shot. June was um, by far my absolute worst. So to say you can't make money in July is uh, is very much not true. Now, look, when you bet this style of long term outlooks and betting the same things every single time, it's going to be a little bit streaky in that when pitchers have oh, yeah, down okay. stretches, yep, they're, yep, you, yep, so yep. am I. If it happens to be a couple at once, you get something like it would happen in June. When they have great stretches all at once, you get July. And then throughout the rest of the season, you get what I had the rest of the year, which is, you know, marginally very profitable. So to me, I think that people that have, you know, people that struggle, I look just like anybody else. I look at the season in two halves, first half, second half in the all-star break in between. And for whatever reason, just that deep breath, whether they're in the game or not, uh, players tend to have different, uh, you know, vastly different splits. Um, for whatever reason, um, that's just their kind of, um, you know, second part of the season. And so, 
I don't think that one month is different than the other. I think that March and April are largely the most variance driven just because of uh, everything that we just talked about and every unknown new guys coming up the second half of the season. There's going to be guys that go on tears, much like guys that slumped the first half that go the second half. So I really don't put much stock into time frame of it. Teams tanking all that type of stuff in baseball that you have to worry about um, in other sports unless there is, you know, a, you know, a one prospect of a Bryce Harper caliber that's or a trout that's going to be the, you know, well-known number one pick. I think maybe that's the only time you have to even consider it with maybe a handful of teams. Um, but to me, I really look at the season just like everybody else. First half, second half. And for whatever reason, I had a much better um, second half than first. So I think that the longer you do this, if you don't skip around, that's the other thing. Yeah. Well, what okay. about later in the season? Like, uh, I mean, our, 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 our call-ups, is that just overblown? You know, I think people will be like, oh, you know, the rosters expand. It's, it's not like they're putting, you know, nine completely different people out there <laughs> when they when they do these call-ups. And then yeah, I guess, right. I mean, even further than that, you know, people, I think you, you hear, and it, maybe it's just a fallacy, like, oh, it's going to get, the lines get a lot tighter because it's the playoffs. Well, I mean, at the same time, you also have, like, the most amount of information you will have, too. So I, I, I think, you know, if you're doing your homework, just because the books and the line setters have the most amount of information they're going to have, I mean, you should be you should be on equal footing with them too. Yeah, not only that, man. It, like those two specific marks, market or uh, markets when you talk about um, September call-ups. Look, you have to worry about a very specific few guys. You have to worry about their top prospects coming up. Um, you know, Houston's going to be interesting with this when they bring up Forrest Whitley. Um, you know, Tatis was around last year for a little bit. You know, the, the Eloy when Vlad comes up, although that's probably going to be right after his service time. When you have you know best prospect, even as a team's first, you know, let's say three, if they're pitchers, I think you wait and see just like you do at the beginning of the year when there's new guys and new prospects coming into it. So I look at that type of situation the exact same way I look at, let's say, um, March and April that we were speaking about um, in playoffs. Look, playoffs, I, I don't, I'm not sure. I, not that I do a ton of, um, you know, you know, just because I think a lot of my guys are a little bit undervalued in the pitchers that I want to get invested in. And a lot of them aren't going to make it on playoff teams because I tend to stay away from such the marquee action. But that being said, playoffs, I mean, look, you're going to have every situation to have the, you know, there's no, oh, a guy's not available. There's no question of motivation. I mean, everything is very straightforward in playoffs. So I think it's just as advantageous, if not more, for a better to get involved during playoffs if they so see fit. That's cool. I like that. Yeah, and, um, and you hit on that too with the prospects. Like, there's a gigantic difference between you know a, a batter, field, whatever you want to call it, a positional player prospect coming up, and then someone bringing up like a stud young starting pitcher. Exactly. Like that's gonna be, you know those are two different two different completely things you got going on there. Yeah. As far as it, you know, this kid's going to be greatly affecting a game rather than the guy that might get three at Sure, sure, sure. And I feel like a lot of the, 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 the transitioning is, you know, a lot of times you bring a pitcher up, they just throw him in the bullpen, get him a couple innings in the pros, you know, get him some, some yeah, FaceTime. Yeah, saw that last some... year with Julio Urias. Exactly. Yeah, Alex Reyes yeah, starting in go. the bullpen this year. There's there's elite yeah. prospects in the bullpens that right now that people, you know, most casual fans won't know about. But if they become starters and you're a better, you need to know those names, you know. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So uh, fair to finally kind of put a cap on all this handicapping process discussion by kind of characterizing some of your approach then. You are effectively a buy and hold and hold and hold and hold and hold and then sell or a short sell and then hold and hold and hold and hold and then buy kind of a guy as it comes to pitchers and, and you go over a long enough arc that you kind of um, try to capture a general you know, a general positive return on any, you know, buy or fade, so to speak, over a long enough time period over the course of the season. And just because there are so many games in the MLB and because you have uh, an understanding and a, and a perspective on, you know, certain pitchers, once you figure out how you want to utilize your buy or hold sell position, right, uh, then you can kind of um, just, re, you know, just just kind of stay the course and uh you know the the little ups and downs are smoothed out over over a long uh a long gain is that is that kind of like a fair way of of characterizing it uh yeah uh, pretty much the only thing i would say is it's not buy hold hold or sell or sell hold hold it's sell 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 <laughs> yeah, buy, right. buy, yes, buy yeah, every yeah, single yeah, right. time right but, um, but, but in, other in, than that a thousand percent though, yep. yeah in concept though like you're not giving up on a guy just after one game you're or no. two games even you're looking for a you're looking for a longer uh you know look, looking for a longer signal or a longer return here than uh than just one or two okay that's cool man um okay well um 
let's switch over to some of the fun questions I had. Um, being a Vegas guy, yeah. uh, where's your favorite place to watch a baseball game in uh, in the desert? Oh man, the uh, the normal answer is going to be the Westgate, only because they hang props and they move fluid props for futures um, pretty heavily based on performance. Um, and I believe they're the only t- uh, only book in town that does that. So for market entry for a futures better like myself, Westgate or at least having the Westgate app is number one. But I'm a boys' club man, and I always will be. The South Point for me is will always be the home away from home. And I will say um, one of my rapidly growing favorites is the Palms uh, newly renovated casino. I know Andy was just there. There's nobody there. Ever really, and it is absolutely gorgeous. Okay, so best kept secret in the desert is the palms. Yeah, it's a little oh, bit like far. Um, I mean, again, when you talk in baseball, there's not going to be much more than aside from a weekend and people betting on their favorite teams, other than pros in there. So you're going to have the pick of whatever you want inside a sports book for baseball, genuinely. But for an atmosphere, um, I know it's a little bit further off the strip, but I would say palms is probably the best kept secret. I like it. Okay, yeah, um, the, the palms, the palms, and once in a while you'll walk into the book and you'll go past the glass where they got the radio booth and you'll see. Like, uh, you know, a pro better, like semi-celebrity in there, just giving it a <laughs> That was, so that, I, that's, when that's I was doing radio key, in there and I saw you, man, I couldn't believe it. I, I like the ball flat. It's, it is so chill. It, I mean, you probably have a point. Like, uh, you know, watching baseball on like a Thursday down at the sports book isn't nearly the same as, you know, like opening weekend for the NFL at the Superbook. Like, it's got to yeah. be a lot more chill everywhere. Yep. That's cool. Um, okay, next fun question I had for you: uh, Is there a uh, is there a pitcher uh, who you bought stock in uh, before anyone ever knew who he was or that he was good or uh, you know even knew his name? Uh, who you like the guy that just made cash for you week in week out? Who you have like forever attachment to? Yeah, um, like I said, this year, I think, um, you know, Jose, I, I'm really in love with a specific core group of prospects. Um, and, you know, I'm a big believer in the third year, break, third full season breakout theory. Um, but guys, you know, when, when Jose Barrios was coming up, um, he's probably, you know, been my number one guy since since he's come up. Sean Manaya is another one that really turned it on last year, who was an absolute cash cow. Um, the other one that I really was trying to think of um, for a couple of years ago uh, was, I would say Barrios is, is definitely probably probably the number one. And then the DeGrom thing, um, first five was, um, another one. No, you know who it was? My biggest cash cow, uh, by far Kyle Freeland. I think that I, <laughs> I, wow. I forgot about him. Um, Anthony yeah. DiScalfani was another one for a little while. Um, but, uh, Kyle Freeland in the under of course, um, and him just being so undervalued, um, because he grew up in, in Colorado and not knowing people not, you know, having the propensity to not want to take a cores under and, and bookmakers hanging, you know, a six and a half line for a guy who's routinely pitching seven innings of two run ball was probably the biggest <laughs> win, um, net last year, him and DeGrom. So I would say Kyle Freeland last year. Nice. I love yeah, that. Your, your fantasy story. DFS. Yeah, the fantasy DFS background is poking through there on the the whole uh, third you know third full season pitching thing. Like I can remember that from way back in the day when I was yeah age twenty seven hitter third year pitcher was always kind of the standard. I like it, man. I like it, Andy. Yeah, oh, I've fun questions. Yeah, I mean, the who did the Twins face in the ALCS? <laughs> like I'm, I I'm like mad because I'm like buying all in on this team. I'm like I love them, man. I love them. Good, and yeah, I mean you're right about Cleveland. Cleveland oh, no, before hit. before we get to who's good, Cleveland before, can't before, hit. This is before, this is gonna yeah. get dicey. It We're is six before, games in, baby. <laughs> before we get to who's good, who's who's the worst team in uh, Major League Baseball? Because I thought it was gonna be the Orioles, but it sure as shit doesn't look like it. The Giants to me. The Giants are the worst, huh? Woo. Yep. Man, that is the worst offense in baseball. And you can smell the bay from the stadium. Andy's yeah. going to be out there smelling the bay from the stadium. I know. On I Sunday. bought Giants tickets like two weeks ago too. I'm going to a game this weekend. Nobody's. I might be there. able to go sit down in the front row. Nobody will be there. <laughs> um, okay, so the Giants are the who's the worst in the AL? Oh, Will it prove man. out to be the Orioles? Yeah, you know Rain? what? As I as I look at this and look at this landscape, I think the Royals have a real chance to be very, very bad this year um, and surprisingly good within you know two to three years. They do have some pitching there. I think that the Perez injury from the catcher position really handicap what the growth that they're going to make for a year. Um, oh, but okay. to me, I, sure. I think Kansas City with that offense is going to be a little bit of a um, AL version of the Giants. <laughs> Yikes, man. Um 
when you were saying that uh, you thought that maybe people were a, a year early on uh, Orioles and uh, Rangers, um, were you being tongue-in-cheek there? Or do you think that those teams actually have a little bit of a spark of life this season? Um, I don't, truthfully. I just think that when you look at this at these results, I, I do know that those were two of the most publicly, or not publicly, but two of the most heavily backed uh, night-in, night-out teams that were identified to have underdog value by professionals. And look, um, you know, Texas at 3-2, and two, Baltimore at 4-2. and two. I don't know for a fact this year that that's been a, a huge, um, you know, Jesus, uh, uh, if I could talk, professional position. Um, but to me, it, it's a very short sample size, but maybe they were onto something despite the fact that both looked like they got a lot worse. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, like what, what happened last night, like the Rangers beat the Astros and like, that was a huge shock and everybody was like, uh, I mean, I, I definitely felt like that, you know, and, and you feel like this at the beginning of football season two, and there's a, a totally lopsided matchup that goes sideways. Like who, who won last week, one last year, like the Bucks beat the saints, yep. you know, and you're like, Oh my God, what's wrong with the saints? And they go yeah, 13 right. and three and make the NFC championship, game. you know? And like, and clearly the Bucks like completely fell apart and, you know, had absolutely no, no, no say in, in how the playoffs worked out. So, you know, I mean, you know, it's, the, it's the, pretty... over, the overreactions are part of the fun though. It's like, Oh, without a doubt. I mean, what, what I can't think of, like, was it the Mets that year or the, who was the worst team ever as far as losses? Like, what they lose? 110 some games? I think it was Baltimore maybe? last year. No, well, I yeah, it might have been like Baltimore. Broke the last record. Year. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. The, the shittiest teams of all time still going to win 50 games. Like, right. you, you know, it's not just. It, even if a team is plus 300, that means they're going to win a quarter, a quarter of the time they play that game. Like, uh, people do just seem to overreact to some of this stuff. I mean, they're still professionals. And honestly, the, the Yankees kind of snake bit right now. Yeah, not a, not at, a great way to start the season. When you look at the data, right? I just said forty-three percent of the time underdogs win. If you have a three-game series, an underdog, the data shows is going to win one of those three, if not yeah, an occasional yeah. coin flip one. So yeah. that's why, and you know, if you can dictate that spot and and see it coming, I think that underdogs do make a lot of sense. You just have to identify that the data says they're going to win. You know, the the odds are better than the actual money line on a given night that they're going to win more games. You know, um, so you brought up an interesting point because there's people out there that do chase systems, martingale systems. This is like part of the fabric of baseball betting um do you follow that sort of like th- those people who are making that action because that's got to move lines right like people who are chasing on the third game yep. looking for that dog to hit uh, like is, man, is there yeah, ways I, to capitalize betting against those people or you know it's oh, very it, very rare that a team sweeps somebody it really does i mean i know exactly what you're talking about in a specific chase system and who employs <laughs> that to the to the, the most famousness here sure. um to me i you know it's i'm more along the lines of if that one specific one is given and it's, it's a three-game series that the team loses the first two maybe i'll jump on that third one just for for sake because it's a lot hard it's a very hard to get swept three times as a heavy favorite if that's the case and usually those type of plays are given when it's a very heavy favorite at each and every time um but will yeah. i do it i mean i if i'm going to do it i'm much more inclined to bet a series price even though the odds are maybe a little bit worse um oh, but to me yeah, it's sure. It is very. If you don't have the the stomach and the bankroll for it, man, you you have gonna learn quick that you're risking sixty units to win one on game four and a minus two hundred. <laughs> I mean, it, it worked yeah. last year, me, but if it, me a tummy ache there. It was a hundred percent at the end last year. Um, you lose one and your whole season's gone, and God forbid that's early. So yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, buyer yeah, beware yeah, on yeah, those. Yeah, 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 without a doubt. Um, okay, cool. Uh, other fun question. Um, who's like a, a blue chip team or a team that's expected to do good who you have circled as just a no, 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 they suck. <laughs> uh, look, the Indians to me are a team that are kind of confirmed every single um issue that I had with them. That being said, they're going to get a lot healthier when Lindor gets in there and he's going to provide a spark to that lineup. I was very big um, on the Nationals. I think they were a lot better without Harper. Um, again, very early, but to see what the Mets have done with kind of confirming my theory that it's the best lineup um, or at least the most improved I've seen in a team since the you know year one of the Houston rebuild when they went a very specific analytical approach of on-base guy, on-base guy, on-base guy power, on-base guy, on-base guy power. Um, that's kind of what Houston is or what the Mets have 
done and they have a prospect who may be just as good if not better than Joey Gallo to hit 30 home runs as a rookie but the one that sticks out to me is the Cubs um, one of my stronger plays in the season win total under it could be a circus there very quickly um, I know it's early but again the, I think the famous headline of baseball prospectus having them finish dead last at like 76 wins is looking a lot more probable right now they play no defense and that's a big issue when you have aging pitching oh good I mean, immediately today i think the first pitch was an error <laughs> like, i didn't i didn't catch a lot of that game fly the e right through right through the five hole oh uh, that's great man uh i mean not great for cubby's fans sorry for cubby's fans but uh that's, oh, they got uh, that is funny they that they have such a specific gear. weakness yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, 2020, 21, uh, 2189 or whatever. We'll look for them. Um, okay, so the um, uh, the Andy's question then that I that I uh, sidestepped, uh, or at least I, I put a pin in earlier. Uh, twins expecting to make the playoffs, and uh, if so, uh, are they going to make some noise? Do they have enough of a staff to win a five game series in the playoffs and make the ALCS? No, they don't have enough of a staff to make make a playoff run, I don't think, at this point. Now, if they decide they want to be buyers, there's going to be some options out there for sure. They do have a nice system. Um, Look, I think that Cleveland's going to win this division just because, again— they're, you know, Cleveland's going to win more than the Twins, you know, let's say ceiling 80, 88 to 90 games, let's set on Minnesota. Cleveland's going to do better than that. I just have to believe that. The Twins are going to be a very scary wild card team. If you're in a one game playoff situation going up against Jose Barrios, I don't know how many teams are going to be very happy to do that. Okay. But then in. Yeah, kind of uh, hit the... on a point there. We didn't even talk about a trade deadline. Yeah, like that's, right. uh, that's, that's a whole, a big I mean, deal. I don't even know if we want to get into that. That's a whole hornet's nest of, nah. you got to sit there and change everything you're doing on some of these. Maybe teams. we'll call, maybe we'll call uh, CP up and, and, uh, we and, might need to and, do a uh, trade deadline and talk episode. about that. Yep. Um, okay. Well, uh, regardless the, um, uh, who, is there an obvious uh, fit from a, a pitching, starting pitching standpoint? Are there going to be arms available this year? I don't really follow this stuff well enough to know. Like DeGrom's probably not right. Like the Mets are going to be quasi contenders. Yeah. Like, you want to Who's going to be out there? Yeah, you want to look at guys coming up on contracts and, you know, not that I think that Houston's going to be a seller, but Garrett Cole is going to be a free agent. I believe he'll probably end up on the Yankees next year. Look, Cleveland has been in talks for whatever reasons. There was talks about there about well, with the Padres deal to go. Um, sh- I mean, they have an abundance of starting pitching and no hitting. So to even that out in theory, if you ship off a Trevor Bauer, a Shane Bieber, a Mike Clevenger, these are your five, four and three starters, not even you know, mentioning Corey Kluber. Maybe somebody makes an offer for Kluber. They get that contract off the books, and those type of situations happen. Seattle is very interesting to me, despite the 7-1 and start that I feel is largely smoke and mirrors. Um, they could be sellers if any um, one comes up there, but they don't have a lot of arms. Kuchigi's definitely the best on that staff, and he's in year one of a big contract. Angels, I mean, in the AL, the pitching is very bleak for that. When you look at the National League and you look at potential sellers there, I don't know that the Cubs have it in them to, you know, give up um you know their run to their fans at this point arizona to me is very very interesting that would be the one where i would look for a lot of arms to come at the deadline <laughs> whether it is interesting Robbie Ray, whether it is um you know corbin obviously gone but grinky um godly they've had success there um but they're not really fully committed to the rebuild um even though they got rid of goldschmidt pollock they're kind of you know stepping stepping their toe into the rebuild so it's not as drastic but if things go south and i believe that they will for arizona there's a lot of arms that people would love to have over there. Yeah. Plus, like plus you get a power hitter if you get Grinky. Right? Saw that. Oh, that's mm. nice. You <laughs> keep him in that league. He's, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. Weird right away. Right off yeah. the bat, baseball. Right weird. off the bat, it's weird. Um, okay, good, good stuff. Last, last question, and then we'll let you go. Appreciate all the insight. This has been a really fun conversation, uh, as always. Um, what uh, what do you make of uh, of the Astros? Are they going to win the uh, World Series? Is it that simple? They're, they're the best team. They're going to win. Uh, you know, when it, when it's all said and done, uh, or uh, you know, what what is your expectation for uh, uh, for this year's World Series? Look, Houston, um, best team, but to me, I kind of saw this little coming a little bit for them. Some early season, I want to call it regression, but struggles. Um, I didn't see the bats going quiet necessarily, but look, they're a very top-heavy rotation with a 36-year-old Justin Verlander in a walk year for Garrett Cole. One of the reasons I'm so high on Garrett Cole is I'm big on people You know, during that contract year. It was one of the reasons I was, identi- I was able to identify Patrick Corbin last year as one of those guys. Motivation's a very scary thing. The Astros are going to get better as the season goes on. Forrest Whitley is going to be an absolute 
force in that rotation. They have a guy in Josh James in the bullpen right now doing the Urias, uh, Alex Reyes impression that could step in and be a three starter. Um, so they're going to get better um, as the season goes on and they have some of these young guys come up for sure. Um, and they can shorten the rotation down in the playoffs, of course, as well. And, and if they don't sign Cole, use him until he falls off. But this window for the Astros is closing a lot quicker than people think. And not everyone's going to want to take team-friendly deals like Bregman. Cole likely gone, in my estimation. Uh, Springer on a team-friendly deal going to come up. Correa, Altuve, these are all guys who are very, very much underpaid. So I think that the window is closing. And not to mention their whole analytical front office is now in the Orioles system. But for this year, the Houston Astros are the best team in the AL. Mm, okay. How about the uh, NL Dodgers to uh, to lose again, or uh, is there somebody you like? I took, I took them for the third straight year now. That's my, <laughs> my third straight year with the Dodgers future. Which I guess two years ago I had an Astros future. Dodgers, too, but Dodgers, Dodgers they got to cash one of these years. They got to just cash play it. Just play NL, man. It's a lot less stress. I'm telling you, it's a very easy win over there. Yep. <laughs> NL hat trick for the Dodgers. What do you think? Yeah. yeah no, I do. Yeah, where were you two years ago on that? <laughs> I'll take the, I'll take the, I mean, dude, they were, they were like six games out of their division. They were plus 300 to even win the West oh, at yeah, one point right. last oh, yeah, year. Man. I mean, it was May, the ultimate yeah, pilot. Yeah. Middle of May was literally like, I guess, blow it up, but they, uh, they came around. Um, okay. Well, uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, figuring out who the, uh, the third pitchers are on all these staffs who are contenders and start calling them Queens. Uh, and so thank you for that. Uh, and, um, you know, best of luck the rest of this baseball season. It was a lot of fun talking to you and, um, you know, we'll definitely uh, reach back out to you this spring. Cause for, you know, for whatever reason, I'm definitely have like a little bit of a renewed interest, uh, in betting baseball this year. And I think, uh, Andy, you feel the similarly. Oh yeah. I'm going to dive in here eventually. I'm still just getting, getting, uh, acclimated to, like you said, these third, I don't know who some of the third pitchers are on a lot of these teams. So I got to figure out who all the players are first and start looking yeah. at some stuff. It's yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah. And thanks a lot, Pina, for taking the time to, you know, teach us a little about baseball. Cause yeah, this is outside of hockey. I think it's a sport we bet the least. So it's yeah. nice to have somebody who's doing it day in and day out. Give us a little education. Yeah, right. And I mean, I got to tell you, the fact that you know so many players and pitchers by name and prospects even like that's uh, that's a huge advantage right there for sure, especially given the way that you're going about this. So got to get there. (laughs) But but uh, regardless, best of luck. Uh, I think, um, you know, I think it's going to be a fun season and, uh, you know, wish you nothing but success. Thank you guys so much, Andy. You were out there betting mid-major underdogs. I have no <laughs> doubt you can find out who the third pitcher on the Arizona <laughs> Diamondbacks is before the end of the season, my man. That's but thank you guys point. so much. Great point.